0: It is good to be in L.A. So you can get
1: your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. you the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure it's a monkey. So aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today.
0: I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that like, people actually watch this show,
1: I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Well, everyone, we're back from our August vacations, and we are thrilled to welcome you to the 11th episode of Watching Mates. I'm your host this week, Lars Emerson, and as always, I am joined by the magisterial Michael Levito.
0: Ah, uh, good adjective. The way the way you said we were happy to welcome it, it made me sound like we had like a... <laughs> A a new co-host that was going to (laughs) come (laughs)
1: on. Surprise! Uh, Nate Silver's here. You know who we are. This is our podcast hosted by ThePostWriter.com in which we explore trends in film and cinema under each post-war president. Each episode, Mike and I choose a film to capture the zeitgeist of that administration on the silver screen. In our episode this week, we are talking about America's 43rd president. We're We're almost to the modern day. Uh, That man, of course, is George W. Bush. Bush, as you may well know, is the son of someone we've already covered on this podcast, President George H.W. Bush. But Bush the Lesser was a businessman who became governor of Texas in the 90s and governed about as you'd expect. He was a social conservative. He was a tax-cutting Republican. Uh, Surprisingly, Bush is actually the first person elected to two four-year terms in Texas. Which sounds kind of impressive, but it turns out they had two-year terms for a long time. Yeah. But still, that's kind of amazing when you think of Texas. But he would cut that second term short by running for president himself in 2000. After a very messy, nightmarish election against Al Gore, in which Bush won on a legal ruling around a recount in Florida, Bush would ascend to the presidency as an incredibly polarizing figure. He is the first of only two presidents we'll be covering on this podcast who won the presidency but did not win the popular vote. <laughs> Him and Joe Biden, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. The other is very clearly Donald Trump. So Bush does not enter office with a lot of love. Uh, it's kind of the first time that's happened. I want to say in this podcast where like someone like comes in just like with such a bad taste in the nation's mouth. You know, yes, Joe Ford, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, but it, it was also. Kind, I feel like it was kind of an odd era of the two parties. I think were just so similar at this point in their trajectories. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is definitely a, a a divisive time.
1: Yeah. So he comes in, you know, not ton of love. Half the country's not a fan. Thinks the other guy won, but he did succeed in enacting domestic policy. You know, he's he, there's some pretty major, now pretty lambasted legislation, like the No Child Left Behind education reform, and of course a $1.3 trillion tax cut. He's, he he kind of marked himself as this domestic guy. And then, of course, 9-11 changed the entire course of Bush and America's history. Bush's approval rating shot to 90%. Two wars were launched, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, An entire new government department and massive new government apparatus was created in response to homeland security concerns. And this president, who seemed so focused on domestic policy, becomes basically the most important foreign policy president in a generation. Bush was then reelected in 2004 against Democrat John Kerry. And this was probably the last highlight of his presidency. (laughs) Uh, He had like an incredible mix of just terrible luck but also like complete mismanagement that destroyed his second term. His administration completely bungled the Hurricane Katrina response. Both wars kind of turned into Middle Eastern quagmires. He controversially fired a number of U.S. attorneys, which is a thing I think people just forgot about because everything else was so crazy. And then the financial crisis basically overshadowed his entire last year in office. By the time his tenure was running out, he was practically an afterthought. He'd sink to around a 24% approval rating towards the end of his tenure, giving him a notable distinction of having the highest presidential approval rating uh, in our era of polling, and also the highest disapproval rating. Like, even Nixon at the end was not (laughs) as unpopular as Bush. It's baffling. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that in mind, uh, what do you think of Bush's
0: legacy, Mike? So... I, I was thinking about this. This is a very interesting week to be recording this episode, because uh, if you follow political news, and I think any kind of news, you know that the U.S. is in the process of withdrawing from Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, there's lots of relitigation about the war on terror going on. So definitely interesting to do this. I've been thinking about it. And so a few weeks ago, C-SPAN released their like rankings of the presidents that they do. I think every time a president leaves office. And Trump, yeah, everyone was, he was curious where Trump was then up. They thought he'd be very low. He was, I believe, fourth from the bottom. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and like honestly, you could make an argument that Bush was a worse president than Trump. Like, I think the Iraq War is the worst foreign policy decision in American history, like bar none. I think it is the most unjustifiable and just the most calamitous thing that. The United States government has ever done in the foreign policy arena, and just like Bush is just like not use not you could even say he wasn't like he seemed friendly. He was not like charismatic. He was a very bad speaker. Like like the most charitable assessment you could give of him was that he was a nice guy who was in over his head and handed the reins of the government to just completely malicious actors like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, who just like made a complete mess of everything. And the fact that he is, like, reviled by both Democrats and Republicans right now, I think, tells you pretty much everything you need to know about his time in office.
1: Tell us how you really feel, Mike. (laughs) No, but, like, I I think it's very telling that the entire Republican Party, including their next president, are like, yeah, he was one of the worst presidents of all time. (laughs) And they just, like, completely abandoned him and everything he stood for. I know people kind of compare, like, you were just doing, like, was Trump worse or was Bush worse? And I'm sort of stealing this from a conversation you and I had probably five years ago, Mike. But it's like Trump is just very ineffective and like very bad. He had bad policy and he was unable to enact it. Bush was like very effective but had bad policy. So he caused <laughs> yeah. a lot more lasting damage. Yeah, I mean like Bush appointed two justices. You know, sure, Trump appointed three. But, you know, one of Bush's was the chief justice. When everyone's like, oh, Bush sucked, they're not like, oh, because of his justices. Right. Um. He just enacted so many terrible policies that everyone seems to have turned on, including Republicans, which is why I don't feel very subjective saying this. <laughs> so I think that's all fair. A lens I've focused kind of particularly on is the financial crisis and his last year in office. Um. Like he gets a lot of shit for that. But in truth, he it's like the one time he goes against his own orthodoxy and he like completely saves the country. But yeah, yeah. but. It's very telling that he's like an afterthought in that, right? It's like mm-hmm. he literally calls in Senators Obama and McCain to be like, we're going to reach an agreement, all of the three of us. And Nancy Pelosi's like, and then I'm going to have I'm um, then I'm going to decide what we're going to do. And Bush is basically just like, when you send me something that's going to save the country, I'll sign it. <laughs> yeah, And like, yeah. that was the right thing to do. I think the best thing Bush did for this country was nominate Ben Bernanke to the Fed. But that's that's all I can say. <laughs> D- depending on how you think about it, the Supreme Court, you might even say
0: appointing Roberts as the Chief Justice is probably. But I, but I I feel like whenever yeah. you talk about the machinations of the court, it's just a lot of speculation because nobody actually knows what goes on right. behind those doors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a bad legacy. Yes. <laughs> not
1: really mixed. It's pretty mm-hmm. bad.
0: I think in a way, really, you could argue like the ascension of the religious right into the White House because Reagan, you know, obviously he got a lot of support from the religious right, as did. George H.W. Bush, but I, I don't really think of them, their policy as being guided by that as much as Bush's was. Like, Bush was, like, more or less a born-again Christian and really tried to, you know, like, Samuel Alito was, like, probably the one of the more conservative justices we've had, especially in social stuff, Yeah, um, even though he's Catholic, not evangelical. But I, I just feel like that was a really big presence in his government, too, and, and kind of set the terms of debate a lot of the times. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's your brief overview, in case you needed a refresher on George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> brief, maybe not it, the right word. There. It,
0: it is. It, it is terrifying. Like I was thinking about this. I have like younger cousins who probably don't remember Bush's presidency. <laughs> it, it it is weird to think about.
1: Yeah. It's such a uh, so much happened in only eight yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Like the entire course of world history just changed very dramatically, and then everything fell apart. Yeah. So the rules of our podcast dictate that Mike and I each had to choose a film that came out within this president's administration, give or take a year. In Bush's case, that is films coming out starting in the year 2000 and going through 2009, which is the year in which Bush was succeeded by one Barack Obama. Let's dive right in. What film did you choose for George W. Bush, Mike?
0: I chose Team America World Police directed by Trey Parker, written by Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Pam Brady, starring Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Kristen Miller, Masasa, Darren Norris, Phil Hendry, Maurice Lomarsh, Chelsea Marguerite, Jeremy Shada, and Fred Tatascuore. So for those of you who don't know, Trey Parker, Matt Stone are the masterminds behind South Park, and they made this movie called Team America World Police, which was made using Super Marionation, which means that it's all, it's basically a puppet show, they're all marionettes, and <laughs> It is the story of Team America, which is this elite, like, commando squad who go around the globe fighting and killing terrorists and leaving destruction in their wake. And they hire, after one of their team members dies, they hire a Broadway actor named Gary Johnston to use his supreme acting powers and infiltrate the just a terrorist cell to try and prevent a terrorist attack. Uh, But their efforts are being undercut by Kim Jong-il, who is, of course, the premier of North Korea, who is kind of collaborating with the Film Actors Guild, um, which is led by lots of peace loving liberal actors like Alec Baldwin and Sean Penn and Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, who are trying to undermine the efforts of Team America World Police. And so it is about... Uh, this organization's attempt to 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 make the world safe again by defeating both the axis of evil and the evil Hollywood elite very tongue-in-cheek if you can't tell I had never seen this movie before I know you had tried to watch it before but got sick what what did you think of this movie
1: (laughs) good memory Mike yeah (laughs) it's it's definitely a little nauseating I'm not gonna lie fortunately it's short yeah there are parts of it like, the motion sickness in this movie, it's real. It's there. I was surprised, reading about this movie, how few people there actually are in the cast. They just all voice, like, a hundred different celebrities.
0: Yeah, it was the same thing with, like, South Park. They don't have a big voice cast.
1: Yeah. You know, it's not It's not my favorite. I think I ended up giving it, you know, three out of five stars. It's very of its own era. You know, it's, it's like, the musical cues in this are, like, stupid country music and like gay, like there's like a lot of like gay jokes and it's like this weird yeah. period of time when like like i remember being in middle school and it's like you know like gay jokes and there's like this joke racism kind of going around that everyone mm. just seems to be like sort of okay with yeah um granted like maybe that was just middle school things but mm-hmm. it, it just like summed up the whole bush era yeah kind of for me it's those the sort of cues and jokes they would make so it's a very very good choice for bush
0: yeah and i feel like it also kind of had the energy of like a early youtube video or like an even like a pre youtube like internet video and that it it feels very homemade like especially the scenes where gary initially does not want to join team america but then he reflects by listening to the country music and it's clear (laughs) that they just brought the puppet to like basically the monuments of washington dc Right,
1: you can see real people walking around.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah. I, this isn't. Like, yeah. It's definitely. It definitely uh, is of its era and is, is has aged a bit. What impresses me a lot about it is a just like the attention to detail. It should have been nominated for an Oscar for production design. Like, in the first scene in Paris there, like, the cobblestones are shaped like croissants. It, it's just, like, very impressive. Like, it's an impressive production. And it's impressive that it was, like, made and distributed in wide release. Like, there is yeah. nobody now who would be able to basically get a major studio to back a, a movie made with marionettes. <laughs> it's just, like, real—like, that, that's very impressive to me. And I think it is also just, like, a a good encapsulation of— the era like the way it really does sort of like lampoon like the early 2000s action movies like with its musical cues like they have that song a battle of hop without honor of humanity which is like they use it in kill Bill it's just like a very stereotypical like cue from from then and yeah so it just like the way it sort of encapsulates like that era of films too I think is pretty impressive and then made me appreciate it you know it, it's not I don't know if I call it like a great movie but it's like it's it's a great effort, <laughs> I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I would just say yes. It it captures this all well like perfectly. I don't know that I'll ever watch it ever again, but yeah. like if you needed the entire Bush administration and that like how America felt and looked at that time, <laughs> this movie about puppets is great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so we we can now talk about in relation to Bush. Like the reason I I chose it, and I realize I, I think you you and I may be thinking the same thing. We'll get to talk about it and get to your choice, but it's like. We talked about how Bush had these, like, terrible approval ratings towards the end of his term. And it's interesting, right, because the hate of Donald Trump started, like, immediately after he was elected. And, of course, during the campaign, like, anti-Trump stuff was, like, all over the place. But the anti-Bush stuff, it, it, it really kicked into gear sort of, like, you know, in a second term. and But it was, like, so intense. Like, I remember, like, there was the, the Comedy Central series Little Bush – which was, like, Muppet babies, but, like, with his cabinet. There was also, like, Will Ferrell went on tour doing his Bush impersonation and basically, like, a one-man show about, like, all the crimes he got away with and stuff like that. Like, people just really hated him. But I chose this movie because I'm like, well, it'll be easy to find, like, an anti-Bush movie, but what about a movie that's, like, kind of pro-Bush? This, I would not, I don't, I think this movie is actually pretty implicitly, like, anti-Bush, but there are some, like, concessions made to Bush right? Yeah. Like, it starts out, like, the first scene, like I said, is in Paris, and like, the very beginning made me laugh so hard where it's, like, the little French boys skipping. Yeah. He just bumps into, like, a guy looks exactly <laughs> yes. like Osama bin Laden, and, like, that musical cue of, like, the, uh, the, like, soloist singer kicks in. It's just, like, so perfect. Um, yeah. But it's, like, they come in and in the process of defeating the terrorists, they, they, blow, they, they blow up the Eiffel Tower, which falls into the Arc de Triomphe, And they, like, blow up the Louvre and stuff. And they're like, why is everybody mad at us? We just saved you guys, right? Which I think is, like, you know, a pretty, like, spot-on thing of It's like, "Uh, excuse me, we just liberated Iraq and Afghanistan, even though, you know, we killed lots of civilians and, like, bulldozed their cities and stuff. It was a very good, like, encapsulation of that. But then there is, like, the criticism of, I would say, like, the Hollywood-led anti-war effort, where, like... It it portrays um, like Alec Baldwin Champagne, Matt Damon. And and it's like, you know, they they're giving these monologues about how actually Iraq was a beautiful place before the United States came and it was very peaceful. We, the actors, have a moral obligation in the clout to, to make sure this all stops. And and basically it's like what really made me pick this movie was there's this quote from from Matt Stone. And and so he was asked by Anwar Brett of the BBC, was kinda like, Hey, you like there's, so there's lots of real life people in this movie, but George W. Bush isn't in it. I actually, I did wonder, I was like, oh, would this be ineligible because Bush is a character and he isn't. Yeah. And and Matt Stone said, uh, the thing that we realized when we were making this the movie, uh, it was always the hardest thing. We want to deal with the emotion of being hated as an American. That was the thing that was intriguing to us and having Gary, the main character, deal with that emotion. And so him becoming ashamed of, to be part of Team America and being ashamed of himself, he comes to realize that. Just as he got his brother killed by gorillas, it's a whole plot. So, too, does America have this role in this world's a dick. Cops are dicks. You fucking hate cops, but you need them. And so it is this concession where it's like, yeah, like, you know, America is not perfect and doesn't always comport itself well, but, like, would you rather it be Al-Qaeda? I think is kind of, like, where it comes down. Um, and, and I think it's kind of, like... <laughs> as
1: reflect- if that's an equivalency.
0: <laughs> you gotta no, pick it- one or the other. It, it, it's, it's not a good one. But I feel like that's the equivalency lots of people made, right? you know there was lots of patriotic fervor at the beginning of bush's career as president and i feel like it, it it the fact that there are these concessions built into that movie reflects that
1: yeah i think i think that's very true i mean they definitely try to roast the overreaction at the time where they, you know they keep saying like it'll be a 9-11 times a hundred yes <laughs> you're like wow yeah so what is that like Nine thousand people, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and you know, it's you know, this that sort of stuff is like, oh, freedom isn't free. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think my my two takeaways. The the, the takeaway I enjoyed the most of this movie is kind of the lambasting of the Hollywood elite. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's critical. It's definitely critical of the kind of like seniority mm-hmm. complex from these people who have no idea and are not really doing anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like what what is Alec Baldwin? I realize it's not actually in this movie. But, like, what does he know about, like, the war in Iraq? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. It isn't to say so much that he's wrong to be against it, more that you're not using your status. You're an actor, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Go into journalism if you want to deal with this. (laughs) Well, it also makes, to go back to a previous movie, it also makes fun of Michael Moore. (laughs) Michael (laughs) Moore is a domestic terrorist in this movie who, like, doesn't he, like, strap, like, TNT to himself and attacks Mount Rushmore or something?
0: Because Mount Rushmore is Team America's base.
1: Right, right. But to go to your second point of, like, hey, you kind of need America in the world, is, like, that's kind of the big takeaway, right? Is there's this recurring theme of, like, there's dicks, <laughs> pussies, and ass? Assholes, yeah. Assholes, right. And, and, like, there's this big speech at the end that I don't actually think is very good. But it's, like, basically their point is like america is a dick and sometimes dicks fuck pussies mm-hmm. but sometimes they need that <laughs> i don't yes. i don't it sounds really bad when i say it out loud but it's like yeah, you don't I'm, want if you don't do it then the assholes do something i i don't know it, it yeah it, it i'm i'm
0: also glad that i was able to swerve away from that and make you say it yeah, um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, the metaphor didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I can't tell if that's just – if it's because it's just a bad metaphor or if it's like an intentionally
1: bad metaphor. I kind of like the metaphor where he goes with it, though. He He's almost like, look, America's like a dick, and sometimes dicks fuck too much, and then the <laughs> pussies get tired. <laughs> yes. And it's bad for the dick, and that's why we need – anyway, I, there's something – like, I get where you're yeah. going, and I appreciate the metaphor in that way, where it's like you need – with great, this could be summed up with great power comes great responsibility. That's how we would sum up that kind of speech.
0: Yeah, basically. Um, yes, it, it's like you know, it's basically like look, like not you know, you can't. Sometimes you need you need a strong hand, right? Sometimes you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. We can't do it all the time, but it's like you know, the uh, the world doesn't work without that going on, right? There, there, there's there's a like the world does not work without some displays of force yeah
1: I'm glad we got through that scene
0: <laughs> me too yeah
1: anything else on team america world police
0: um not really i did i did think it was very funny the way kim Jong Il dies um yeah yeah he gets impaled on like a german guy's personality. <laughs> right. <laughs> right and then it yeah. turns
1: out he's basically like the men in
0: black character and he's just actually like a cockroach um, yeah yeah um, it's yeah,
1: you could not make this movie today. No,
0: not at all.
1: <laughs> not <laughs> Probably because all of the like characters of color are voiced by like <laughs> Matt Stone or something. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: and it's interesting too, right? Because it made me think of like comedy during the Trump era when it came to Trump was mostly pretty bad. Like I feel like there was never really an effective parody of Trump. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but I feel like like the stuff about Bush was like it wasn't perfect, but it was better. And it got me to, like, wondering, like, why that was the case. And I think part of it is just that, like, Trump is such a ridiculous figure that he's, like, impossible. To, like, anything he does is funnier than anything, like, a writer can come up with. And there, there's there's no, like, pretense of respectability like the way there was with, like, the Bush administration where, like, they tr- they, they tried to be professionals, but they clearly
1: weren't. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Wilson McCarthy, Sean Spicer impression, notwithstanding.
1: Right. But Alec Baldwin's Speaking of him, his impression, overrated.
0: Oh, come absolutely. Get, come get me, people. No, I agree completely. It is also funny, too, how this was, like, very clearly pre-30 Rock Alec Baldwin. Because they, like, are clearly making fun of him for being, like, a D-list actor. But then he ended up becoming, like, a very critically acclaimed television star.
1: Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Appar- like
0: the only part that consistently got a laugh out of me. Appar- apparently, like... Somebody asked Matt Dean, he's like, yeah, he's like, I've met Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I have no idea like what that is. Like, they're super <laughs> nice. I have no idea why why they did that. And they were just like, yeah, the, the puppet just looks stupid and we thought it was funny. Like, There's no
1: meaning behind it. <laughs> like, it cracks me up. Yeah. Alright. Moving right along. So the film I went with was towards the end of the Bush era, when things are a little darker and America feels a little less secure. I went with 2008's The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Morgan Freeman, and a lot of other people. The Dark Knight is, of course, the sequel to Batman Begins, a film from a couple years before. It tells the story of a new villain in Gotham. Called the Joker, played by Heath Ledger. He's wreaking havoc. You know, he's he's kind of a chaotic guy. He he puts Gotham through these games. He steals a lot of money. There's there's like there's like ten different plots throughout this movie that are constantly changing and, and interacting. But the, the basis of the story is the Joker is like a domestic terrorist, and Batman, who if you don't know. <laughs> is Bruce Wayne's alter ego. Bruce Wayne's, like, this rich billionaire whose parents were killed. I'm not going to rehash that. But the police can't stop the Joker, so the Batman's got to do it, and Gotham is, like, falling into dis- disrepair. It's a movie that's been seen to death by both of us, I'm sure, Mike. But how'd you feel about this rewatch? Uh, it's a good movie. I, it's funny. I realized that, like, while...
0: It had been, like, a little bit since I'd i watched it in full, but, like, you know, I'd obviously seen it a lot. Like, I realized that I I... <laughs> Well, I remembered specific scenes very well. I didn't always remember like how you got to those scenes very well. Yeah. Like, I completely forgot. Like, I obviously like re- if you were if you were to come up to me and be like, "Hey, do you remember that boat scene in The Dark Knight?" Or like, you know, the one boat. There's two boats rigged with explosives. One that has prisoners on it. One that has like civilians on. It. I'd be like, "Oh yeah." But if you were like, "So how did like why why were they on those boats?" Like, I would have no idea. <laughs>
1: right and i always think that that scene is in the middle of the movie that that's like the middle climax but it's at the end
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh,
1: it's really um, like the
0: middle of the end but i mean right. like this is this is i i, I love this movie he Ledger, deserving of all the acclaim he got from it um just really really like well done action scenes like the whole like the, the chase where it's like they arrest harvey Dent because he, he says he's batman
1: Yeah. Harvey Dent is the district attorney played by Aaron Eckhart.
0: Yes. Uh, Who actually becomes Two-Face. Spoiler alert. Like, that whole scene's, like, amazing. When
1: Uh, he's in, like, the armored car, and, like, the Joker's trying to get him, and then... Batman's trying to save him.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And it's just like the Joker keeps getting past progressively bigger guns, like from the side (laughs) of like the tractor trailer. Yeah, it's good. I enjoy it. It is, I think it blew a lot of people's minds when it came out. It's, I feel like it's definitely like one of the last, it is in fact one of the last like pre MCU superhero movies. And it feels way different because of that. It's because it's kind of, it feels a little more, you know, as realistic as you can make a superhero movie, I guess. Like, I, think, I feel like that was the big revolution was that it felt like it was a story that could play out in a modern American city and
1: not just a story
0: about a guy in a bat suit.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, if that's the first thing I wrote down to talk about. is It's like we are now in the superhero movie era. It kind of more started in the early 2000s with like the Spider-Man and X-Men movies. But the Dark Knight is the one that like legitimized the entire comic book genre. As like, this movie won Oscars. Yes. It's hard-pressed to find someone who's like, this is not like a great movie. Yeah. Where should we start with this one with Bush? I I think the easiest read, first of all, is like the domestic terrorism like kind of aspect, right? Is it's mm-hmm. like, it's like There's a lot of movies that come out around this time, um, like No Country for Old Men, which has almost an identical premise with like the coin flip. And it's like, uh, yeah. we're going to decide to kill you with the coin flip or not. It's like, this is an indifferent, chaotic universe. And all of the regular people are just terrified all the time. Hmm. And, you know, the basic premise is like, there's there's this district attorney in Gotham who seems like the white knight who can like save the day and like prosecute all these mobsters and criminals. But like, he kind of gets lost along the way and they keep trying to kill him. And then eventually like it's too much for him and he becomes the monster.
0: There's like a big aesthetic thing with that too, right? Like the Joker... His thing is like he's gonna kill one person every day until the Batman turns himself into him or kills right. himself, whatever. Right. And like the videos he puts out are very reminiscent of like 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 terrorist abduction videos,
1: right? And it's all you know. It, it, the joke group says it's like it's not about the money; it's about sending a message. That's literally terrorism. That is yeah. literally terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like you know everyone's gonna lose their. He, he has this little monologue. It's like if you tell people that someone's gonna get shot tomorrow. And then it happens. No one freaks out. But if you say someone randomly in the city is going to get shot tomorrow, mm. then everyone's going to lose their minds. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's all these games and chaos. And like he, like the boat scene, like you were talking about, it's like the people on this boat have the button to destroy the other boat. and The people on the other boat have the button to destroy the other boat. And it's the prisoners and like regular people <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the opposite boats. And they decide like, oh, let's put it to a vote. Yeah, which which is a very uh, there's plenty to unpack there, but that could take a long time. But it, it ends up that the real villain at the end of the film is like kind of the one who was made by the system. It ends up being Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. Two-Face, who embraces this chaos and goes out to kill Commissioner Gordon's family.
0: <laughs> yeah. well, and he literally like decides he literally uses chaos to decide who's going to kill him. He flips right. a coin to decide. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's like the Joker's whole plot, where he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna like, you know, show the city, like, make everybody in the city turn on themselves." I feel like is also very much like there was a much discussed idea of like, "Well, what does it mean to like let the terrorists win?" And like one of the one of the sort of ideas was that like, well, you know, you think about it like by passing things like the Patriot Act, which sort of curtails some civil liberties, and by sort of demanding uh, blind displays of patriotism. And 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 giving into our wars most violent impulses, we are in a way letting the terrorists win, right? And I feel like that that is kind of like explicitly the Joker's plot is to like basically have the people of Gotham City destroy themselves.
1: Yes, and to sort of tie it back into Bush, uh, after this movie came out, uh, this was viewed as a very pro-Bush movie. Actually, yeah. it legitimizes torture to reach an end, right? Mm. They torture people to defeat the bad guys yeah there's like um, literally an enhanced interrogation scene between the batman
0: and right
1: right it legitimizes mass surveillance which morgan freeman is like opposed to and he's like if we do this i'm only doing this once and i'm gonna shut it down after that it, it, and like batman's like it's a means to an end or yeah stuff. like that's kind of his line it's like we just have to find this one man and then morgan freeman is like at what cost hmm <laughs> yeah Hmm. I found like this article by uh Tony Coates at, after this came out and he was like not a fan of this movie but he was also like it's not very well made. And I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah. There have been like a ton of analogies made about this movie on the internet in reviews where it's like people think like Bruce Wayne is George W Bush because mm-hmm. he's like a party boy, but then like they think the Batman is Dick Cheney because he like gets on person <laughs> and then, like does it. And they think like um, Harvey Dent is like Obama who like this is before Obama's time, but you can kind of see the writing on the wall where it's like he's like this bright knight rising up who mm-hmm. ends up just getting like bogged down in the system. And then like I, I wanna do a deep dive. And people think like <laughs> Commissioner Gordon is like the Democrats and Morgan Freeman <laughs> is like the Democrats, because they like go along with it when it's like, Oh my god, everyone's so afraid, and then they're mm-hmm. like, Wow, we really lost our way. But <laughs> It's interesting, right? It is kind of a pro-Bush movie, though I think you leave the movie being like, oh, this is bad.
0: Yeah. The like, movie yeah.
1: ends in a lie. Right, but, yeah,
0: exactly. And and I, 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 and I it's, you know, a question of, like, whether or not to endorse that. And I do, it's the very famous monologue where Alfred sort of, like, talks about how when he was in, like, the British Army or whatever, and they were in Burma, and, and there was this guy who kept stealing rubies from their, their convoy that they're going to use to pay off. Whoever I don't really remember, and then it turns out that the guy wasn't actually like selling them; he was just kind of like giving them away, and he was just doing it for sport. And he then he says, "You know, some men just want to watch the world burn." Very famous quote. But then later Bruce Wayne is like, "Well, how did you find the guy?" And he goes, "We burned down the the jungle." You could read that as like a justification for like burning down the Middle East <laughs> to, to 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 get to get Bin Laden. But you could also, you know, he literally says, "Some men want, just want to watch the world burn." And then they gave him what he wanted. They literally burned the jungle right. to try and find this guy. And so it's like, well, you can realize either an endorsement or just kind of like an admission that like, you know, we gave him what they wanted in a way.
1: Right. And Michael Caine's kind of the most, he's the only character who kind of knows what's up this whole this whole time, right? Yeah. I guess sort of Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, Rachel, <laughs> as well, but uh, R.I.P. Is he's, you know, they're kind of discussing what to do do bruce wayne and alfred and he's like people are dying alfred what would you have me do but mm-hmm. in it's like normal voice people are dying alfred and alfred's like endure they just wait which is not what americans facing terrorism want to hear mm-hmm. but but and alfred kind of tells him like you know you need to know your limits like he's like the batman can't afford to have any limits <laughs> 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 and alfred's like what what because he he has to go on this, like, journey to, like, Hong Kong to go pick up this guy. Which is also,
0: it's like, he's kind of, like, a black side operation, basically.
1: Right. And it's, Well, he literally says Batman has no jurisdiction, like the cops, because they want, yeah. like, Harvey Dent to prosecute this guy. Mm-hmm. Which is also just very on the nose in terms of what would happen in the 2000s. Yeah. What else should we unpack with this? Well, it's interesting, right?
0: Because he has that whole conversation at some point with rachel where he's just kind of like you know the world needs harvey dent because i don't want to have to be the batman forever right um they they need like a a, an actual guy to to do this and it's like yeah but like you're still going to be the batman forever right And, and and it kind of reminded me it's like it's like well we don't have to be in the middle east forever we just have to do this one thing and then we'll be okay right and it's like well we haven't been in there there forever yet but we were there for a goddamn long time it's, it's very bleak it's just like a lot of sort of like you know justifications for these like this these this extra legal chicanery that is never actually going to provide the satisfying end the joker at the end says like you know you and i are going to be doing this dance for like you know until one of us you know dies and it's like he refuses to kill the joker which is the thing that would end it and the joker refuses to kill batman because then you know what's the point of one and it's just like this sort of, like, endlessly looping cycle of, like, violence and revenge that never actually resolves anything because you're not really, you know, you're trying to kill an
1: idea in a sense. Yes. In a way, to quote that one cop, things are worse than ever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, not all Very, very dumb work. line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, just, like, that scene in general, is like, just not how a press conference works. <laughs> no, I <don't. laughs> Like, it's, it's a press it, conference. very awkward. And then people are just, like, yelling at, 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 uh, on Harvey Dent, like, learned... <laughs> no more
1: dead cops. Yeah, it's it's not it's not not how those things work. As a fun, completely unrelated political aside, Senator Patrick Leahy makes a star appearance in this film. <laughs> That's true. In the scene at Bruce Wayne's penthouse party, he stands up to the Joker. Good for good for him. Yeah. Anything else on the Dark Knight?
0: There, there's just like this, like and just like this general sense where it's like, ah, uh,
1: we need sort of like
0: these dark, silent men to do the dirty work, to make the world safe for us, and to, to, to and basically to enforce these, like, noble lies, these noble myths, in order to make us all safe. It's just, like, it's a very, like, I feel like neoconservative outlook.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it, and it's, you know, the movie ends with the lie that, like, oh, Batman killed Harvey Dent. Harvey, not the reality, not the truth, which is that Harvey Dent was killed because he was bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was oh, and- like, about to kill a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of, the, the other thing that, that stood out to me was there's that guy, Reese, who, like, is a lawyer for Wayne Enterprises and deduces that Bruce Wayne is Batman yeah. and is, like, sort of, like, also embezzling from the company by being Batman. And he goes to Lucius Fox and and he's like, ah, I have, you know, he, he shows him the evidence and Lucius Fox is like, so you're going to tell the whole world that, you know, your boss, one the richest man in the world, like, this is how he spends his time. He's like, good luck. But the thing is, is that, and you're... you're I feel like you're kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, screw this guy who's trying to ruin the Batman's plans. But at the
1: same time, it's like, well, he's, like, actually right. Like, right. And, I and feel Bruce like, Wayne is kind of embezzling from the company. <laughs>
0: right. And, and I feel like it, it kind of reminded me of it's like, oh, you're going to tell me that the U.S. just, like, made up a reason to go to Iraq. And you're going to, like, believe that, you know, like this sort of, like, incredulity at the idea that, like, you know, the whole truth wasn't being told. And like the guy getting kind of just like filleted by the public for it. I think is I think there's something there.
1: Yes. It's an anti-truth movie.
0: Yes. It's a, it's a
1: truthiness movie. Borrow a phrase popularized by Stephen Colbert. Back when his show was good. <laughs> Michael's spitting some fire today. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about those two movies. One from Bush's first term and one from his second, actually. That is a nice kind of symmetry there. What 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 are your conclusions about the Bush era in film, Mike? Very foreign policy focused and lots of ruminations on
0: America's role in the world, what it means to be in America, what it means to be hated, I think, yeah. what it means to, to do bad things, violent things, and just like really like pessimistic
1: and dark. It definitely gets, I think Team America at least pretends to be more lighthearted Um, but you know, I was looking, when we were choosing these movies, I was looking at kind of the stuff that came out in like the early two thousands versus the late two thousands. It, yeah, it, there's like a noticeable trend at how dark things get from Bush's first to second term in film. And it's, I mean, it's pretty clear why, I mean, the world in 2008 is arguably worse off than it is in like 2001. Right. Worse than everyone might say. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot darker. I mean, the entire economy <laughs> falls apart and we're in two wars still. Mm-hmm. And like basically the entire American city was flooded. You know, it's yeah. just not, not bright. Um, yeah. well, it, 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 there's, there's that like joke
0: John Storm made at the Oscars where in 2007, the best picture nominees were no country for old men. There will be blood, Michael Clayton, atonement and Juno. And he's like, <laughs> thank God for the movie about teen pregnancy. That's right. <laughs> like yeah
1: right but i mean in the you know you compare that to like the early 2000s and you have you know spider-man movies you have which are which are not dark they're pretty lighthearted. yeah they address they address 9-11 in a very you know patriotic positive way yeah but you also have like like, Harry Potter movies were light mm-hmm. in the early Bush era, and then they get very dark. <laughs> not yes. saying that's related, but, you know, Tony Blair... You can make some comparison there. But even, like, you have,
0: like, the Lord of the Rings, right? This, these mm. big blockbusters that are about, sort of, like, you know... It's a lot of, like, positive male bonding. It's a lot of, you know, forgotten country-type stuff, and it all, it all ends up good at the end. And then you have, like, the biggest blockbuster, you know, later is, like, the Dark Knight, which is, you know... Uh, has a much bleaker outlook on the world
1: right so things are not looking so good as we go into the obama era no yeah anything else on the bush era mike i don't think so no all righty that is our show as always we hope you had a great time listening and you can always drop us a line on social media or you can email us at contact at the dot com or you know whatever you can let us know any movie suggestions you may have for the only a few presidents coming coming up in these last few episodes. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson.
0: I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Amerimike on Twitter at mlevito.
1: Mike's got some mad Twitter game. Hit him yeah. up. Watching Mates is a postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can like and subscribe to this podcast and find it wherever podcasts are found. And, of course, you can follow both Mike and myself And our friends on ThePostWriter.com. And we will see you next time to discuss the films of the Obama era. Now that's change I can believe in. Yes, you can.